Hello and welcome to Coexisting. It's 2020 and due to the coronavirus making its way across the world, we find our towns and cities in lockdown in an effort to slow the pandemic. I'm Lara Lightbody, the producer of this show. Apart from the COVID headlines filling our screens, I was curious to hear how people were living day to day. So I asked the same eight questions to people in different countries to get a glimpse of their lives during their version of Shelter at Home. The questions I ask cover life right now as that person is living it. What day of shelter are you on? What are the rules in place? What is it like in the streets where you live? What practical advice has helped you at this time? What is your most memorable moment? And what would you say to someone who is feeling low today? It's part information, part human story archive, but mainly trying to get an uplifting bent on this insane situation we find ourselves in, and at the same time preserving these memories in audio. Memories that will, in a few short months, be forgotten. So, plug in those headphones or that speaker, grab a cup of tea or a glass of the good stuff and take a seat. This is Coexisting. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm originally from Canada, and I've been an expat and all over the world for 27 years, now living in Tokyo, actually fairly recently in Tokyo. A mom of three amazing grown children that all live in Canada, and I'm a freelance lifestyle and travel photographer. Oh, how many days have I been in shelter? You know, it's hard to say because Japan is doing it very, very differently. We've been in the house for close to two months, really only going grocery shopping and walking the dog. We haven't been asked to, except in the past two weeks, but we made a decision to not really um, do much of anything for quite some time now. I am sheltering with my husband, who is now working from home, and we chose to move our part-time helper, who really initially we hired to help us because we travel so much. We decided to move her in because really we're her main source of income, and um, she would have been out of work. So there's three of us and a dog. I am a freelance travel and lifestyle photographer, so obviously there is no travel which means there's no travel photography. Probably a couple weeks into staying at home, I did a couple social distance family photo shoots and that worked out okay. But actually, because there's way too many people out, the parks were crowded. And so even though I was doing the right thing, the people around me weren't. And so I just stopped it to stop doing that. So yeah, it's affected me. I think it would have been a great time to kind of capture that anywhere else, you know, the quiet parks, whatever, we can't do that here. That's the interesting thing that I didn't know until this all started is that actually the government in Japan has no teeth to enforce really what they've asked to the people. So they can suggest that you stay at home. They can suggest that restaurants close. They can suggest that you work from home or that shopping malls and things like that, department stores close, but they can't enforce it. And so you could have 50 people in the park and you'll hear a big announcement suggesting that you shouldn't be there, but you won't get a fine. They can't come arrest you. They can't do any of those things. 
here, I don't know if people understand that the majority of restaurants are very, very small, six people, eight people, that's it. So when you don't go to a restaurant here, those restaurants are going to close very quickly. They don't have the backing from the government. They don't have the funding. They don't have anything other than this culture here of everybody who eats out and they'll all go under. They will. So a lot of restaurants have closed. A lot of the big department stores have closed. But the little izakayas, little bar type restaurants, you know, the ones that'll do, this one will do skewers, this one will do ramen, this one will do whatever. A lot of those are open because there is no incentive for them to close. They know if they close, they're out of business and they're not opening again. So they're just not doing it. The state of emergency was declared because that allowed the government to take over land if they needed to for makeshift hospitals or even like they have now some apartment buildings and hotels that they're using for people who don't have very strong symptoms of the virus to help them isolate. And it allowed them to disperse funds where they needed to that they wouldn't normally be allowed to. It sounds more dire than it is, but that state of emergency was basically just to give some kind of bite to the government so that hopefully they could get some stuff done. It's not enough. It is really just not enough. Change does not happen quickly here. So in this instance, this is a problem. I try to still get out there and take photos when I can, even with no people. It is quieter here, for sure. I have this habit now of checking Shibuya Crossing, which is the biggest crossing in the world. And I check it because there's a live cam. And where they're trying here to reduce the population out on the street by 80%, Shibuya Crossing is definitely one of those places that that's happening. It's shocking how few people there are. It is quieter for sure. We live right in the heart of the city. I've kind of taken over the dining room because I find that if I'm doing things and sitting on the couch all the time, my posture, <laughs> I start to slouch and then I'm taking a nap at two in the afternoon and, and it gets great light because there's a balcony right off of it. So I kind of can go outside for a little bit and I can come in. We're on a really, really quiet street, but I know what the weather's like. I can hear the birds chirping. I really haven't made a ton of friends here by my own choice, but I have one friend who she knows if the door is open that I'm in the dining room. And I usually, if she's gone for a walk or she's gone to the store, she'll call out to me because she knows that I'm sitting in here. I have family in Canada, in three different places in Canada, two time zones. And I've lived so many places, I basically could be chatting with people all day and all night if I chose to. So I've just kind of plopped myself here and I'm close to the kettle. I can keep drinking cups of tea and it's not a bad place to be. My mind is really quiet. So for me, it's been a good time to get creative with some new projects. Look after my husband, which is not really my nature in general to be that kind of wife, but I'm taking on the role. I've started meditating. That's a new one for me that I have tried for years and just couldn't quiet myself enough to do it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Turning the age that I am helped. I'm a cancer survivor. That was a big one. So if this is one more curveball that you had to throw in my direction to round out all the other changes I've made, then I'm 
willing to do that, to be quite honest. I'm not afraid of it at all. We lead a really crazy life and have for so many years and with a ridiculous time difference. I mean, it's 16 hour time difference to my parents and one of my kids. It's really, really tough to keep in touch with everybody. And so I have all day and all night, to be quite honest, to really connect and ask the question, you know, how are you feeling? Just asking the right questions and not just the same one. How are you doing? Because everybody's going to say, fine. And just being available to listen. I have a friend. She's not allowed to rant to her husband anymore. So she rants to me. I mean, capital letter rants if she can't video chat me. She's in caps and I love it. And she knows I will listen. And okay, I, I tend to agree with her on a lot of stuff. So it makes it a little bit easier, but I'm here to listen to those rants and no judgment, no judgment. When I had cancer and you find out, you know, who steps up or who just is afraid to be in contact. It's so interesting in this instance because I was in Hong Kong in January for surgery and was supposed to come home the end of January when kind of this all escalated. And I thought, I just want to go home. Well, at that time, I thought Tokyo was a better place to be than Hong Kong. I might have changed my answer since then. But at the time, I just really wanted to come back here and be in my own house. And so my conversations with my friends all over the world was about this virus even back in January. And nobody really was interested because it didn't affect them. But boy, oh boy, did that ever change when it hit North America and all of a sudden it was their virus. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. We've been talking about this and dealing with this. The first case in Tokyo was January 14th. We have been dealing with this for a long time now and nobody cared. Nobody was concerned at all. So it's kind of that same thing of even when I was sick, it really wasn't of interest to a lot of people. But boy, when they know someone in their very tiny circle, right where they are, who has cancer, the first person that they reach out to is me. I do think that until it's in your backyard, you can't really appreciate the severity of it. I do also think that the global community who has lived in different places has maybe a greater sense of how small the world is. And so I feel like my friends that have lived overseas took it seriously a little quicker. Can you hear the planes? Is that annoying? Well, if you can hear planes going overhead, because I have the doors open, and they're very loud, actually. They are doing flybys to see people are out. They're checking on people, checking on the big areas in Tokyo that people would congregate. Statistically, they're keeping track. They're doing live footage. And they definitely will send trucks to that area or vans to that area with announcements going by. So I'm not sure what good it's doing, but they're definitely there. And you hear planes all the time now, especially like it's midday. So they know it's, you know, when people would be going out for lunch and then during rush hour, they wear masks in Japan all the time anyhow. So actually walking down the street, even when I was taking photos back, like even in February, when people, I had a bunch of friends that were going to come visit who were deciding at that point, it was still an Asia problem. And, and they were deciding whether to come 
because it was Japan. Little did they know that it was going to be worse where they are. The photos that I was taking, people were saying, but look, they're wearing masks. I'm like, any day of the week, a year ago when I moved here, the Japanese wore masks. They take their shoes off. They go nowhere indoors with their shoes on. They do not hug. They do not kiss. They do not shake hands. They wear a mask. So culturally, they were doing the things that we will all need to do in the future. Yes, the numbers are going up here because once the Olympics were postponed, they started to test. They weren't testing before in hopes that the Olympics could happen. And yay, Canada, who said, no, we're pulling out regardless of if they go on or not. But once they started testing, of course, the numbers were going to go up. This, I think, is a big one that has struck me. Social media can shame you at the best of times. We can all feel less than by what other people are posting. And what I noticed really, really early on was the people that were like, oh yeah, I'm going to learn a new language. Oh, I'm going to learn to do this. I'm going to learn to do that. I don't know why we put the pressure on ourselves to try to do things when maybe it doesn't, oh, I hate to use this, you know, the sparks joy, but if it doesn't fill your bucket and it doesn't bring you any peace, any joy, yeah, I started to meditate. But if you don't want to meditate, don't meditate. I think it's just escalated to even more than it was before of kind of shaming people into doing better, doing this, doing that or stuff. Can you say that you haven't been at somebody else's house in the past two weeks and nobody's been to yours? You know what? The shaming doesn't help people's mental health at all. It's not the way to get screwed to people. I say, just look after yourself in whatever way that that means for you. Probably not staying in your pajamas all day, every day, but whatever works to kind of feel good about yourself. I started making candles. What is wrong with me? I put on jewelry to go walk my dog the other day, some fun earrings and a couple of bracelets and a cute pair of pants. And I felt really good. <laughs> Did you ask me what I've learned in this whole thing? You really can only count on yourself to do the right thing and to entertain yourself and all those things. You're the only person that you can count on 100%. Actually, this might make me cry, so I probably will have to keep it short. We've been doing this for so long, all of us, and everybody's... See, I am. I miss my kids. Um. You know, everybody's been saying this too shall pass. And that wouldn't be a quote that I would use, but obviously it's true. We all know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and we do need to just do the right thing and be patient. And yeah, some of us are luckier than others that we have roof over our heads and food on the table and whatever, but then pay it forward if you can, just pay it forward. And we're all, I think we're all gonna be better people when this is all said and done. I really, really do. Thank you for listening to Coexisting. It's Lara Lightbody, the producer of the show. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the story unfold, here is where I need your help. Hit the subscribe button so Coexisting comes up automatically in your feed. Secondly, write a review and rate with stars, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts. And if there's anyone out there that you think would make a great guest, just get in touch. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn as Coexisting Podcast. 
That way, that many more people will find us. <laughs>